Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 103. I wanted to mention a contrast when we look at the container sector compared to the bulk sector. In the container sector, they issue vast numbers of bills of lading, something like 15 million bills of lading per year. So, you know, there could be multiple bills of lading in each single container. Welcome, Trade Finance Talks listeners. My name is Annie Kovatovic, Junior Editor at TFG, and I'll be your podcast host today as we talk through important issues around bulk cargo and shipping. Maritime transport is the backbone of international trade and the global economy, with over 80% of the volume of international trade and goods being carried by sea. With so many avenues to explore, I am happy to introduce Grant Hunter, Director of Standards, Innovation and Research at BIMCO, to learn more about hot topics in the industry. Grant, welcome. Hello, Annie, and thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Great, good to have you. Just to take a step back, can you give us a small overview of your professional background and your current position? My background is I spent my entire career of some 45 years in the shipping industry. I was originally a seafarer in the Merchant Navy. And then when I came ashore after five years or so, I've uh, worked in commercial shipping for companies like uh, P&O in their bulk shipping department. For the past 26 years, I've been working for BIMCO, which is a uh, Copenhagen-based international ship owners organization representing around 60% of the world's merchant fleet. Wow, thank you. So really vast background there for you. And so given your exposure to the shipping and logistics industry, can you pinpoint some different methods of shipping that exist and briefly describe what they are and what they're generally used for? Yes, yeah, so now I'd sort of categorize uh, shipping in perhaps in sort of three main uh, areas, perhaps. Uh, first of all, is liner shipping, which, uh, as most people will know, is, is the carriage of containers, boxed cargoes, goods across the world. It's sort of scheduled deliveries of these boxes by very large vessels that go in and out of the main trading ports of the world. And it's where a lot of uh, consumer goods are carried in these containers. The other parts of the shipping industry was what we'd classify as the bulk shipping sector. So that's the carriage of um, liquids such as oil and fossil fuels and other liquid uh, chemicals, etc. And then we have the dry bulk sector, which is the carriage of things like iron ore and coal and grain. They'd be the main sort of cargo commodities that we're looking at. And then separate from that, shipping, we have more sort of specialized areas of um, the offshore industry, which is uh, reliant on shipping or providing various services in the offshore sector and delivering goods and, you know, heavy lift uh, objects and project cargoes, etc. So that's the main sort of categories I would uh, describe in shipping. Given these different avenues, let's say, what would prompt a shipper to opt for one method over another? How do these value propositions really differ? In terms of um, choosing which sort of method of transportation you want, it, it depends very much on the, the actual cargo itself. So obviously, coal and iron ore don't lend itself for being put into a box very easily. So they need very large and specialized vessels to carry these cargoes, being carried in, in huge amounts. I mean, some of these ships will be carrying, you know, 350,000 tons of iron ore or coal, whatever. So they're carrying very large volumes of cargo. And it's sort of an economy of scale thing. So you can move these in very large amounts of cargo very cheaply. The, the freight costs for these are uh, tiny compared to the amount of um, cargo that you can carry on these vessels. For other goods, um, perishable goods or electronic goods or you know things that are shipped in smaller quantities, then it's better to look at containerization so you can get the goods transferred from origin to destination all within a sealed box. Um, so that would include not only the, the maritime part, the shipping part, but also if it's carried by road or rail as well. And all that can be done within the same box. So it's very, very safe, very secure and a fast process, but for lighter goods or you know more perishable goods. Kind of stepping back and looking at the industry as it is and how COVID really impacted the supply chain. Can you talk a little bit more about what 
the current ecosystem looks like within cargo and bulk shipping? Yeah, in terms of the pandemic, the impact it had on shipping is that the shipping was certainly able to continue. No ports were closed uh, in reality or never for any uh, considerable period of time. So shipping wasn't excluded from trading. The difficulty for the shipping industry during the pandemic was for crew on board. It was extremely difficult to get any crew changes done because simply people couldn't move from countries. You couldn't take a crew off and send them back to their country of origin or get a new crew put to them because they simply weren't allowed to travel. So that put a tremendous pressure on the uh, seafarers on board, many of whom had to stay on board for a extended periods of time, some of them more than a year. So it really put pressure on people separating them from their families. But it was just simply down to the fact that people weren't able to travel. But in terms of trade, the ships were still able to trade and to carry cargoes. And although there were certainly delays as a result of the pandemic, essentially trade was able to continue. Yeah. And kind of taking a step more into the now and all of the issues around the current conflict in Ukraine, how has that impacted the shipping industry in terms of bulk cargo carriage of oil and fossil fuels? Has that really sort of also on a more granular level impacted BIMCO? And what steps are you taking to overcome these challenges? Well, the impact of any sort of war or conflict, um, using the Ukraine situation, Ukraine as an example, is uh, sanctions against certain cargoes being carried from certain places to certain other places or being carried on board certain ships. It's very important for the industry to be aware of what sanctions are applying, what's going to be a lawful cargo, what you can and cannot do. And certainly the sanctions environment is you know, increasingly a very complex one. It doesn't just um, apply to a war situation. There are other countries in the world where sanctions apply because uh, the various activities of their governments and regime. Monitoring the sanctions environment is very, very important. Sharing that information with our ship owner member to make sure they can make the correct business decisions and make sure they don't fall foul of sanctions regulations is very important. This would apply in the Ukraine situation as well, where there are issues and problems with uh, taking certain cargoes to certain places or using certain shipping companies. Then you need to make sure they're exactly where you are with those regards. And I guess secondly as well, the whole issue of, you know, the Ukraine is a major supplier of uh, grain and other food products to the world as well. That had uh, an impact certainly on trade. Other sources have had to be found as a result of that, but that's certainly something that's not easily resolved because they've been such a major to supplier of, of these food foodstuffs. Shifting gears slightly, you mentioned making sure that communication was free-flowing and making sure that everyone was on the same page in terms of sanctions. How do you think digitization over the last few years has really helped in the parameters of the pandemic and also these new issues arising around the conflict in Ukraine? How do you think digitization has really helped along these processes and how do you expect them to in the future? Digitalization is very, very sort of broad subject when it applies to shipping in the maritime industry. And of course, it applies to all industries as well. We're going through this sort of digital transformation ourselves. And the whole issue of the data that is available to people, the information that can be promulgated to ships and to ship owners and to charterers and all the various entities involved. And also the ability to track the position of ships as well using sort of uh, various automatic identification systems. All of this is playing a very important role. And when it ties in with uh, sanctions, for instance, you want to make sure what ships are up to. One of the methods of doing that is making sure that you can track where they are using automatic identification systems, which are carried as a, a mandatory requirement on ships, and they have to keep them switched on so that they can identify where ships are. In this particular case, um, sort of digitization comes into its own because if people switch off their AI systems, then that sends a sort of a warning flag to the people that, you know, what exactly are you up to? Why are you switching this off? It's been installed on the ship for safety purposes, so we know where ships are. But if you turn it off, what is the reason for doing that? There are very few exceptions, very few reasons why a ship can turn off this digital signal. And if it does happen, then that should be a bit of a red flag that requires further investigation and maybe that will help sort of you know pinpoint those who are breaching sanctions because that's what they want to do. They essentially want to disappear for a while while they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So digitalization there applies um, and it's a very useful tool that we have in helping this sort of uh, making sure that people are complying with sanctions. 
Great. Thank you for walking us through that. And I think it would really be remiss for me not to mention the topic of conversation on everyone's lips at the moment. And it was quite rampant during Cybos as well. And that is the topic of EBLs. Obviously, you'd be aware that it recently passed or began its passage through UK government. How do you think in this regard, EBLs will move shipping into the future? And how will this play out over the next few years? I'm really glad you mentioned e-bills. It is my favorite topic at the moment. We're in a sort of moment in history in shipping that we're going through this transformation, of digital transformation. Shipping is a very old and very conservative industry. It is still heavily paper-based. We now have the technologies available that we can transform paper-based bills of lading and send them digitally in an electronic environment. And it's so many issues for the industry, but it's really, really a positive time to do it. Sort of linking it back to um, the coronavirus we were talking about just a, a few minutes ago, the problems with paper bill of lading is that when it passes through the system, it's issued by the carrier, the ship itself, and then it has to, in many cases, pass through the banking system. And eventually, it's going to be received by the receiver of the goods so that when the ship arrives with its cargo with a discharge port, the receiver of the goods should be there with that bit of paper to hand over to the master in exchange for the cargo. So we know it's being delivered to the lawful receiver of the cargo. But to move a piece of paper across the world during the pandemic was almost impossible. The couriers weren't allowed to move around countries. So it became very complex to do moving a piece of paper. The banks weren't able to check and verify compliance because if they had staff working at home, how do you get the bits of paper to them? And all of a sudden, I think it became very apparent that now is the time we need to digitalize bills of lading. It's such an important document for the industry. It's, you know, it's evidence of the cargo, it's a receipt for the cargo, it's evidence of a contract of carriage, and it's also a document of title, title to those being carried. So it's a really, really important document. And of course, if we move it electronically, then we can make sure that that piece of paper in a digital format is there at the discharge port when the ship arrives. So we don't have any possibility of a misdelivery, any risk that the carrier will take. It's a very important document to get moved onto an electronic platform. We've had technological solutions around now for probably 25 years. So they're, you know, they're very mature, they're simple and straightforward to use, and they already work. And it's great at the moment that we're hearing conversations about various jurisdictions. Singapore has already adopted the model law on electronic trade records. The UK is going through the same process as well. But the fact is, we can do this now. Electronic bill of lading solutions are currently available, and there is no reason why more people shouldn't be using them. So they're well established, they're well used in the bulk shipping industry, they're moving into the container sector as well. We have solutions now. Legislative changes will simply make the whole process easier in the future, but we don't have to wait for legislation changes. We have the solutions now. It's a very positive time to do this. It takes a lot of boxes and it will save the industry a lot of money for processing costs and also lower the risks when they're having to sort of face discharging cargoes without these bills of lading being present. So, uh, you know, we're very positive about it at the moment and we're really actively encouraging the industry to increase the amount of cargo it shifts on electronic bills of lading. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, we should be doing this now. It's been around for 25 years. Given this availability, but lack of uptake, what do you think are the key hurdles for the industry that behind that reticence that we're seeing, you know, people waiting for the first person to step out? Is it standardization? What are your insights? There are a number of reasons people haven't adopted it more widely. I think standards is an important thing. That up until now, there haven't been any open standards for the fields carried on uh, an electronic bill of lading. BIMCO has recently published an electronic bill of lading standard for bulk shipping bills of lading. Digital Container Shipping Association, who looks after the liner side of uh, the shipping business, has done exactly the same thing for liner bills of lading. And we've made sure that our standards are entirely compatible. So it's essentially, it's one standard across the whole industry for whatever type of cargo you're shifting. We're still, we're all using the same data fields on different types of bills of lading. So really important to get that data standards in place. And these open standards are available to all of the current seven or eight platforms that are available to use for people to transfer electronic bills of lading. So we've established a standard there. And the point of that is, first of all, to say things have changed in the past 25 years. Here's, here's, here's something new that's happening. We've established standards and these standards will be used by the platforms eventually to create interoperability 
between the platforms. And we're looking at the sort of the technical and the legal aspects of how we achieve interoperability, which effectively means that regardless of which platform you use, that bill of lading can move across the various platforms. If the, if the bank is using a different platform from the carrier and the receiver is using a different platform, again, that bill of lading can pass through the system completely transparently. And that, that again, will help people so that you don't have to sign up to multiple platforms to use an electronic bill of lading. So there's lots happening in this space. There's no reason in the moment you can't just sign up to one platform. All the stakeholders can be involved in that and use the electronic bill of lading. I think that we've had a little bit of reluctance from some ship owners in the past. They're not necessarily technically well resourced in some of the companies in the bulk shipping sector. They tend to be quite small companies and perhaps operating just a few ships with a few staff. They don't necessarily have IT departments or whatever. And perhaps they've been a bit reluctant to move into this space. So we feel there's been a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding and awareness of um, the availability of electronic bills of lading. And BIMCO is, is taking steps now to go out and train the industry, educate them, make them aware of what's available and how it all works. And we think that will help considerably. And already we're starting to see sort of a bit of response to that and a bit of growth in the number of people using e-bills. So it's very encouraging. Yeah, I think often when we discuss any topic around trade finance, there is that key underlying thread of education and making sure that it's readily available to all industry members. And I think obviously when we're talking about interoperability, that's quite key because there's obviously people generally are quite reticent to share information like that. How close do you think we are to that sort of interoperability and uniform standards? The uniform standards, we've got those already. They're in place. We talk about standards. We've developed the draft standards. They'll only become standards once everyone is using them, but we're already talking to the various platforms and the response has been very positive about adopting them. Early next year, we will start to do a number of proofs of concepts which will use the standards and actual sort of trades. We'll use that bill of lading standard and we'll involve the shippers and receivers and the banks, whatever, make sure it all works. And again, sort of publicize that and share that information. We also want to start sharing the fact that, you know, we know there are companies out there that are using electronic bills of lading very successfully. We want to focus on the annual volume of cargo that people are shifting on electronic bills of lading and the actual value of those cargoes as well. And I kind of wanted to mention a contrast when we look at the container sector compared to the bulk sector. In the container sector, they issue vast numbers of bills of lading, something like 50 million bills of lading per year. So, you know, there could be multiple bills of lading in each single container that you see on board a ship. And, you know, these ships are carrying tens of thousands of these containers. So it's a very large number of bills of lading. And there is a kind of a numbers game. It's about sort of saving costs in process processing time here because to process all those bills of lading is very time consuming if it's done manually. If you do it electronically, you can save a lot of time and money. And it's been estimated by the Digital Container Shipping Association that if even if we had a 50% adoption level in the container sector, that could reflect a, a saving of something like $4.5 billion a year. So it's big money involved in that to move to electronic bills of lading in the container sector. In the bulk sector, it's very, very different. It's very large ships carrying large volumes of cargo, but those shipments may be just on a single bill of lading. So the numbers are far fewer. A very large carrying oil might only do four voyages a year. So there aren't a lot of bills of lading being issued there. The difference is, is the value of those goods on board is huge. An oil cargo, you know, three, four uh, hundred thousand tons or whatever of oil is, is massive money. So very, very large cargo as well. And also in the bulk industry, we have the fact that cargoes are often traded while the ship is at sea en route to the discharge port. So it's a more complicated process, less bills of lading involved, you know, so different value proposition for getting those uh, those systems onto electronic bills of lading. You know, it's that contrast between is very, very important. Standards are essential, we think, in order to move ahead with this and that helps people feel comfortable in using these different platforms knowing that we have an accepted standard and that standard will build towards interoperability we're only just at the beginning of the the road looking at interoperability i think technologically it could probably be done now i think the legal aspect because of the fact that the bills of lading often carry the title to the goods as well it's a bit more complex i think that requires a lot more discussion to settle on or how that will work in principle so it could be that we're still you know a couple of years away from interoperability but the process has started now and we're moving ahead 
it's simply a case that we have systems at the moment, it's just inevitable that they will simply get easier to use as time goes on, but you can use them right now. Yeah, really interesting. And obviously, we're at the beginning of quite a great and vast journey in terms of interoperability and kind of looking ahead into the future. What major trends do you expect to emerge in the shipping space? Maybe ones that will be developed further from the different conversations that we've had today or something else, perhaps? For BIMCO, I think what we see is we're entering a time where the shipping industry is going to have to change, like all industries, because we have to respond to uh, climate change. We have to be conscious of the emissions and the efficiencies of uh, the shipping industry. So we have to be looking to lower our emissions from shipping. I think it accounts for about 3% of uh, global emissions at the moment. We have to lower that. We eventually have to move to fuels with zero emissions. There's so, you know, targets being set by the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, which governs uh, shipping internationally. And so shipping necessarily has to become a more efficient industry due emissions and there's lots of ways that that can be done but we really need to look at the efficiencies in the industry one of these things is obviously things like digitalizing a lot of the paperwork that's done you know reducing the, the amount of uh, paper that's flying around that's been carried by couriers or whatever ships themselves need to become more efficient the contractual architecture that we use in the shipping industry the charter parties these i think need to be looked at as well because there are in many cases the principles that underlie these charter parties they're more than 100 years old you know the shipping industry has moved on we're not 21st century shipping but we're applying 19th 20th century contracting principles to them, which has served as well up until now. But now, because we need to be more responsible towards the environment and the climate, we need to think of more efficient contracting processes as well. How do we actually get better incentives for the shipping industry to be more sort of reduce its emissions and be more efficient? So that's a big aspect. And I think that will be a big conversation for the industry. How do we change the contractual architecture to become more efficient? How do we make use of technology in that process as well as beginning about more blend of applied technology and the contractual architecture together, working together to make a more efficient industry? So I think that'll sort of blending of the two things in the future will be quite a big focus for us. You mentioned sustainability here, and I think it's quite fitting that we're recording this during the week of COP27. Apart from digitization, how else do you think that the shipping industry could move forward in a more sustainable and eco-friendly manner? I can imagine in terms of sustainability, we need to make sure that the industry is using fuels that eventually result in sort of net zero emissions or net zero emissions or whatever. We need to think about the fuels that we use. It takes time to change fuels for the global fleet to suddenly switch over to an alternative fuel. It can't be done. It will take a period of time. We need the innovations. We need the development. We need to make sure we have security of supply of different types of fuels that, that can help us on that journey. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the fuel types that we can necessarily switch over. And that's a process that's going to take a long time. And it's something the industry really, really needs to focus on. It's going to be a long and difficult process to switch fuels, but that will help us in the sustainability process as well. And I think also growing to be much more conscious of the entire supply chain. It's not simply about the shipping aspect, just taking cargo from one port to another. We need to think about the entire supply chain and the role that we play in that, gearing ourselves up so that our contracts as well reflect other parts of the, the supply chain. Though it's also that the sales contract is an important part of what happens. So if we need to adjust the speed of a ship to be more efficient and to reduce emissions, then that needs to make sure that it doesn't result in some sort of penalty under a sales contract because the goods arrive later than it says in that contract. So we need to think right through the entire supply chain about how all this is going to work in practice as we try to operate shipping more efficiently. Great. Thank you. And thank you for all your other insights and for joining us today on Trade Finance Talks. That's all for now. Listeners, see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.